Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Did everybody have enough turkey? Yeah, maybe a little too much, maybe not enough. Hopefully you got enough turkey uh, this past week, and hopefully you're ready for what we've got today, because we got a lot of information to cover. And one of the things that I hope that you were able to do around Thanksgiving was sit with maybe family or friends and just be thankful for all that God has done for us. I know it's been a weird year, but God has been so good to us in in so many ways, and, and we need to pause and be thankful uh, for that. Now, one of the things that I hope that you weren't thankful for, I hope that you weren't sitting around at your Thanksgiving gathering saying, I am so thankful that uh, we're coming to the end of our end time series this Sunday. So uh, hopefully you weren't in that spot. So has anybody found this series beneficial in your life? Anybody uh, learned something, uh, maybe learned something new or relearned something that, that you've forgotten? Anybody in that spot? All right, so we've covered a lot of information, and uh, we've got a lot of information to cover today, but one of the biggest things we want you to know about this series is this series is not meant to scare you. It's meant to prepare you. So we don't want to scare anybody. As Christ followers, we don't have to be afraid. Uh, We should be prepared for what's coming, and we truly believe Jesus is coming soon, and we need to be ready for that. We need to help other people Be ready for that as well. So we're going to walk through some more information today. Some of it might be a little bit alarming. Others of it uh, will be very encouraging. And uh, so we're glad that you're here to be with us for us as we wrap up this series. Now, if you missed any of the messages in this series or you want to go back and hear any of them again, which I highly recommend because, again, we're taking a sip from a fire hose, you can go to our website, you can go to our YouTube channel, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our iTunes account. And there's a lot of ways that you can get the, the data that we have for these, these series and all of our messages. Now, throughout this series, the past four weeks, we have been handing out uh, these end times timeline charts. And so if you didn't get one, you can either pull out your smartphone and take a picture of that chart right there, or you can get paper copies. I think they're at the back of each seating section. They're at our Connection Center as well. You can get them there. You can also get some more of the resources that we make available through our Spiritual Growth Challenge. So on our Spiritual Growth Challenge, it's a one-page document that takes what we're studying on Sunday a little bit deeper And because we're covering so much content in a short amount of time, I highly recommend you get the Spiritual Growth Challenge and you get some of the resources on that to dive deeper into what we're talking about in this series. Because again, there's so much content, we can't cover it. We could spend a year talking about this and still not cover all of it. So you can dive deeper on your own, and we've provided the resources for you to be able to do that. I hope that you'll grab that. Now, we're going to take a look at this chart for just a second. I'm going to walk you through where we've been and then where we're going, okay? So as we started this series, we started at number one, the church age. It's also known as the age of grace, when God poured out his grace on humanity by sending Jesus to die so we can have eternal life. We found out we believe that that age is going to come to an end with an event known as what? The rapture, known as the rapture. That's when Jesus steps out of a cloud to snatch his bride away, the bride of Christ. The church takes her, us home to heaven to be with him. And then in heaven, 
Then we get to number three on our chart. That's the judgment seat of Christ. We understand that that is also known as the Bema seat of Christ, which is more of an award ceremony. And we'll be given awards for how we have lived out our faith as Christ followers. And then we'll experience number four on the chart. That's the marriage of the lamb. Now, while that's happening in heaven, there's going to be some stuff that Brian talked about last week happening on earth through the tribulation period. Now, that's not going to be a fun time to be alive. Okay, so the Antichrist will set up his rule and reign on the earth. It'll be a seven-year period, three and a half years of peace, and then three and a half years of the worst experience humans have ever been through. If you know anything about the Holocaust, pales in comparison to what's going to happen during the second portion of the tribulation period. So we got through in three weeks to number five. Guess what we're doing today? Um, We're going to live up to our name, Epic, and we're going to go from six to 13. All right, so we are going to uh, cram a whole bunch of information into today's message. And uh, again, we could spend weeks, if not months, uh, talking about this stuff, but we want to give an overview of the end times uh, prophecy so that we can have an understanding and a framework of things that are coming and have a general idea of what's going on. And then next week, we're going to transition into our Christmas series. So um, we need to pray because uh, God needs to work swiftly through my mouth and my mind today. And I'm praying that God will work wonders in your ears and your hearts as you're absorbing all this information. Uh, Again, we got a whole lot to cover. So if it sounds like I'm talking really fast in the first portion of the message, I am going to talk fast today. Okay. Again, uh, you can listen to this message again, and I'll slow down towards the end of the message. Okay. So let's pray and we'll dive in. God, I thank you for the content that we're studying. Uh, I thank you that you've given us signs of the end times, signs that we can know and we can observe in our culture, we can observe in our world. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through today's message that you will work through my mouth and my mind to communicate what you want to communicate. And Lord, that you would motivate us, uh, those of us who are Christ followers, to live with passion and purpose for you and to help other people around us come to know that you are coming back one day soon, and we need to be prepared for that. So guide us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so at the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be a battle that most of us have heard about, even if we don't know anything about it, or if we just know a little bit about it. Anybody know about this battle? Somebody tell me what this battle is going to be. The Battle of Armageddon. Okay, so again, we may not know a lot about it, but generally a lot of people have heard about it. We understand that, hey, it's some you know, battle happening in the future. We listen to how the Apostle John describes Armageddon in Revelation 16. This is an extension of what Brian taught us last week when he was talking about the seven seal judgments, but there are also seven trumpet judgments and seven bowl judgments. And then John said this about the sixth bowl judgment in verse 12. He said, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies towards the west without hindrance. Now, where are they going? They're going west. Where are they going towards? Anybody know? 
Israel, yes, they're going towards Israel. They're going in battle against Israel and they are not the only ones going in battle against Israel. Verse 13 says, and I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And remember in week one, we talked about end time prophecy can be written figuratively or literally. And this is an example of a figurative statement that's gonna describe something literal. And if you read around it, often you can find out what that literal thing is. We see it in verse 13. We also see it in verse 14. And it says they are demonic spirits. So what, what are these things that look like frogs leaping out of the mouth of the dragon, the, the beast, and the false prophet? They're demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God, the Almighty. So all the rulers of the world are going to come together in battle against Israel. They're God's specially chosen people. They want to wipe them off the planet. But we learned in this series that God said to Abraham, I'm going to always protect you. I'm going to always bless you. I'm going to always defend you. And I'll bless those who bless you. I will stand in opposition to those who stand in opposition of you. So God himself will fight for Israel on that day. Verse 16 says, And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Now, Armageddon can also be spelled with an H, okay? So we take that word, kind of split it apart. We've got Har, which means mount. We've got Megiddo, which means slaughter. We put those together, and we have Mount of Slaughter. Now, Mount Megiddo is a real place in Israel, and here's a picture of it. So this is Mount Megiddo. It's also called Tel Megiddo. Several of us at, from Epic have been to Israel together, and we've taken several trips there. And I encourage you, if you ever get an opportunity to go explore the Holy Land, I recommend you take that opportunity. It's like getting a seminary degree crammed into a week experience. I mean, there's so much information that will bring the Bible to life for you. And Megiddo is one of those examples. So Megiddo is an ancient city that has been occupied for thousands of years by different groups of people. And the reason that Megiddo is so important is it sat at literally the crossroads of all the trade and commerce that happened in that region of the world. So if you were going from your part of the world and you wanted to trade with another part of the world, you had to cross through Megiddo to get there. So whoever controlled Megiddo had a whole lot of power. That's why there were a lot of battles that were fought at Megiddo. Now, I've got a few other pictures um, that I've taken at Megiddo. So this one here is the staircase, the ancient staircase going up to the gates. And if we go back 3,000 years, we understand that King Solomon set up Megiddo as one of his chariot cities. It's actually when he sinned against God. God told him not to... to uh, acquire a lot of horses as a king, and yet he did. And he set up Megiddo as one of those places where his horses were stationed in his kingdom. And uh, it's crazy to me to think that that staircase could be the staircase that King Solomon used to get into the city of Megiddo. That's just craziness to me. You know, I'm a history uh, kind of guy. I love history. I think that's so fascinating. When I look at American history, it's fun to learn. And then when I went to Israel, I, I came back with the realization that we as a nation, we are babies in the world when it comes to history. There is such rich history in the world that goes way farther back in history than just our experience. So this is kind of a cool picture. The next picture shows some of the archaeological digs that, that are happening there. And again, you've got uh, many different 
uh, cultures, civilizations living on top of another generation, on top of another civilization, on top of another civilization. They actually cut a piece of this mount out. It's kind of like taking a piece out of a pie. And you can see the different civilizations that have lived there through the years. And then this picture is a, a fun one for me. You look around, you see all these little pieces that look like pottery, these little rocks. Well, they are pottery. They're pieces of pottery. This is ancient pottery that like, again, for me, like we're walking around on this stuff and I'm picking this stuff up and I had a little bag. So I kept some of this and and brought it home with me. We're talking, I'm bringing home pottery that that could be 3000 years old. That's fascinating. And uh, I don't know if the people who work there take buckets of pottery every day and, and kind of shake them out over for the tourists that are coming like me who are so excited about it. I think it's real, real pottery, um, but I don't know what, what happens there. But this bone is a petrified bone that I found as I was walking around. So I'm looking at pottery, seeing pottery everywhere, and then I find a bone. And I'm taking stuff home as a little personal collection. I'm like, man, I'm bringing this bone home. And then I thought... I don't know that it'd be good if I brought King Solomon's uh, leg bone home with me. Like, that may not be a good thing. God may frown upon that. So I will leave Solomon here, and I, you'd be proud of me. I left that bone right there. All right, we're going to go back to our first picture. The Battle of Armageddon is not going to be fought on Mount Megiddo. Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought in the plain at the foot of Mount Megiddo. So if you look across that plain, there is this vast valley, this vast plain that's out there is known as the Jezreel Valley. That's the location of the Battle of Armageddon. And the Jezreel Valley has been the location of hundreds of wars, like I've said. And it was actually in 1799 that Napoleon stood on this site and he declared all the armies of the world could maneuver their forces on this vast plain. There is no place in the world more suited for war than this. It is the most natural battleground on the whole earth. That's where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. Now, this battle won't really be much of a battle. The enemies of Israel will attempt to destroy them, but Jesus will step in and end the battle with his second coming. That's number seven, on your chart. And, and we could spend a whole message on that, uh, but, but we're just going to look at it briefly. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, then I saw uh, heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named faithful and true for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. If you cross-reference that, John chapter 1, 1, we understand in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we find out that's Jesus. So we're talking about Jesus here and his second coming. We also talked in this series about the difference between the rapture and Jesus' second coming. Those are two separate things. In the rapture, Jesus steps out of the clouds to take his followers home. In his second coming, he comes back to planet Earth, actually puts his feet on soil again. That's going to happen in this moment here. Verse 14 says, the armies of heaven, that's us after the rapture, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nation. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. 
And then John goes on to describe the blood from that battle flowed from the wine press in a stream about 180 miles long, as high as a horse's bridle. That's a whole lot of blood from a lot of dead soldiers. And Jesus steps in. It's not much of a battle. He ends it in that moment. That gets us to number eight on your chart, known as the judgment of the nations. And Jesus himself tells us about this judgment in Matthew 25. In verse 31, he says, but when the son of man, referring to himself, comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Verse 41, it says, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire fire prepared for the devil and his demons. In verse 46, it says, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Now, this judgment has a placement, it has a purpose, and it has people. So the placement of it is after the tribulation, after the battle of Armageddon, and before the millennial reign. Its purpose is for God to choose who's going to step into his millennial kingdom. The people facing this judgment are the people who've survived the the tribulation period. Again, we've said the tribulation period is going to be a rough time. There's going to be a lot of death that happens during that tribulation period. And during the tribulation, there will be many people who put their faith in Jesus, and there will still be people who reject Jesus and say, I don't want anything to do with him. Again, that's the reference to the sheep and the goats. And uh, anybody, anybody who's died before the tribulation or during the tribulation, if they put their faith in Jesus, will be in heaven. If they've rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they will be in hell. Not only will the nations be judged when Jesus comes back, but Satan will be judged. Revelation 20, verse 1 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon. Who's the dragon? That old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But can you imagine a world without Satan and his demons influencing people? Like, can you imagine a world like that? It's going to be pretty amazing. No crime, no hatred, no racism, no terrorism. It's going to be an amazing world. And the Old Testament prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse into what that's going to be like. In Isaiah 11, verse 6, he says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them. The cow will graze near the bear or cub. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near a hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand into a nest of deadly snakes without harm. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be that child. But there's going to be a child doing that. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. That's just a glimpse of what number nine is going to be like on your chart. That's the millennial reign of Christ. That will be a thousand years of perfection. A thousand years of peace. 
prosperity, perfection with God as our king. And we'll get to reign with him. Revelation 20 verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And uh, they all came back to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I believe that thousand years is a literal thousand years like we would understand years to be. Now, that uh, passage has a whole lot of content wrapped up in it that we're just going to pull apart for a second. And I know it's nice to be thinking about the, the, the millennial reign and all that peace that's there, but we got to go back into the tribulation for just a moment. During the tribulation period, the Antichrist will set up a one-world government and a one-world economy and a one-world faith system. So with the one world government, it will be so that he can rule the entire world and have everybody following the same rules at the same time. And part of that will involve this one world economy, one world money system. So, you know, if you've ever been on a mission trip or if you've ever been out of the country and gone to another nation, you know, you've got to exchange your money and depending on where you're going, either that could be a, you know, a good thing because you know, American dollar is a little bit stronger or it could you know, not be as great. Um, and there's always the conversion rate. Well, how much does that mean? And, and how much do I actually have when I get there? Well, one day you won't have to worry about that. Or some people won't have to worry about that. There will be a one world money system. And a part of that will involve what's called the mark of the beast. So the mark of the beast is, I don't exactly know what the mark of the beast is, but it is wrapped around economy. It's wrapped around buying and selling. And people who, in in the tribulation period, who don't have the mark of the beast cannot buy or sell anything. They can't run into Walmart and get that pack of gum that they want to get. They can't get anything from Publix. If you don't have the mark of the beast during that time frame, you will be rejected in those places of commerce. So, you know, just think about how that would impact our world. Now, there is a push right now for us to step away from cash and kind of have a cashless society. Even there's a, there's a push to get away from our credit cards. So we see that when we look at what's happening with the coronavirus. There's a lot of people stepping back going like, ooh, um, you know, the coronavirus is bad. We don't want to get that. So we don't want to touch anybody's germs. We don't want to touch cash. We want to touch um, cards. And so we're trying to create this system where we can do that without touching anything, a contactless society where um, there's technology today through microchips that are being proposed that can be inserted in someone's hand or on their forehead where you can actually go and buy stuff without having your wallet or your purse with you. Like, can you imagine you're like jogging down on 100 and you see Wawa and you want to drink and you could just go in there. If you didn't have anything with it, you could go in there. They could scan your head you scan your hand and say, is this going to come out of your checking account or going to come out of your, uh, your, your savings account? And uh, you could tell them and then have your product and you could take off. And you know, so we're seeing the day coming rapidly closer through technology where this stuff that we're reading in scripture like really could, could happen. In addition to that, it's being proposed that these microchips could, can hold our health records. So again, if you're out exercising or something, you don't have any ID with you, and you, you know, pass out or something, or bump your head on a tree, and, and you're laying on the ground, and, and nobody knows who you are or what's wrong with you, and they come up, they can scan you. And once you're scanned, then they can say, oh, well, this is this person, and this is their information, this is their health issues, and they can know all about you. 
It's also being proposed that right now with the coronavirus vaccination that's coming out, that, uh, that maybe we give people a card that identifies them as having had the vaccination. And if you have the vaccination, then you pull out your card when you're going to certain places, you're given freedom to go into those buildings or go see those people because you're, you're safe um, from a health standpoint. If you don't have the vaccination and you don't have the card, you may not be allowed into certain places. Sound a little creepy? Okay. So I think when we take what we're reading in Revelation, we put it in the context of what we're talking about here in our lives we're experiencing, uh, I think we need to be aware of this. Now, let me be clear about a few things, okay? Because sometimes people misunderstand me when, when I'm talking about this stuff. I'm not saying that the, the coronavirus vaccine is the mark of the Antichrist. Can we all agree to that, that I'm not saying that? Yes. Great, thank you. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we shouldn't get uh, vaccinated. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that as we walk down this road and experience some of these things, it is setting us up for the Antichrist to rule and reign the entire world and for us to follow his rule. There will be people who will have very difficult decisions to make. Again, I believe that the church, if you're a Christ follower, you'll be raptured away, you'll be in heaven during this time frame. But you will know people. There'll be friends, family members that you know, Co-workers, neighbors that you know that will be forced to make a decision. Do I get this microchip or whatever it may be that represents the mark of the beast? Do I get this so that I can survive or do I not? And they'll be faced with that decision. Be a very challenging thing for them to decide. Now, remember, this series isn't meant to scare anyone. It's meant to prepare us for Christ's return, and we need to be as knowledgeable as we possibly can. All right, so let's step back into the thousand years of peace that is going to be an amazing experience, and when Christ returns, we'll experience that. It will be um, cut short at the end and disrupted uh, by the enemy. So Revelation 20, verse 7 says, when the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up onto the broad plain of the earth, which could be a reference to Je the Jezreel Valley again, and surrounded God's people and his beloved city. Now, this is one one of the saddest passages in scripture for me. I, I can't understand why God would allow Satan out of the bottomless pit. Like once he's in the pit, I'm thinking he should stay in the pit like forever. But why would God allow him out? He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to deceive the nations again. Why would he allow him out? I'm not really sure. But I do know that God has a plan and a purpose for everything, and we can trust him with that plan, even if we don't understand it. So even if we don't understand why that's happening, we can trust that God's got something good that he's going to do because of it. And another sad part of this is that after people experience a perfect world with God in charge and, and, and no hatred, no crime, no terrorism, no political fighting, There'll be people who reject God, rebel against him. And I think that's crazy. Why would anybody do that? And then I think back to Adam and Eve. 
And I think Adam and Eve did it. Adam and Eve experienced a, a perfect world. And in their heart, uh, they, they wanted to be like God. And so they rebelled against God, and that will happen again, sadly. But let me tell you who those people are or, or who they aren't. They aren't Christ followers, okay? So remember, during the millennial reign, people will still be born into the world. Some of those people will put their faith in God as their king, and others won't. Okay, so you think a thousand years and people born uh, into to those thousand years, that's a lot of generations that are born. So there'll be a group of people that step into the millennial reign and they have seen uh, the transition, they've seen the battle of Armageddon, they've seen God step in, uh, they, they know what the tribulation period was like, and they have this full context of what's happening. Then there'll be generations that are, are born and look back and go, well, I never knew any world other than this perfect world with this perfect God. And there will be people who say, he's not my king. Kind of like there have been people in the past few elections who didn't like who was elected and said, he's not my president. Anybody ever hear somebody say that? All right, when I hear that, I think, well, do you got another president that you're following because he's the only president of the United States? So you may not like him, you may not have voted for him, but he is your president. So in the same context, I think that is what will be happening in the millennial reign. There'll be people saying, he's not my king. And those people will reject him, rebel against him, and to me, that's really sad. Satan's final rebellion will be short-lived Verse 9 says that when Satan's armies gather for battle against God, fire from heaven will come down on the attacking armies and consume them. And verse 10 says, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that's Satan's final resting place in the lake of fire where he can never escape to deceive anyone ever again. That's number 10 and number 12 on your chart. Number 11 on your chart tells of another judgment that's coming. And I got to ask, anybody tired of the judgments? I'm a little tired of the judgments. They're like wearing me out here. But this is the great white throne judgment, which is different than uh, the the judgment seat of Christ, as we've learned in this series. So the great white throne judgment that's coming is different than the judgment of the nations. So it's described in Revelation 20, verse 11, it says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The seas gave up its dead and death in the grave gave up their dead. All who were, all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now let me clarify something from this passage. It's not saying that uh, good people uh, go to heaven and bad people go to hell. It's not saying that. So we already know that salvation is offered to anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's not based upon the, the stuff that we try to do to earn favor from God. It's based upon what Jesus has done. When we believe in that, then we are part of his family. So this judgment is the final judgment for all unbelievers. 
And at this judgment, anyone whose name was not found in the book of life, I mean, think about a day, kind of a, a roll call will happen, kind of an attendance. There'll be books opened. Names will be called. If your name's not in the book, then you don't get to step into God's eternal kingdom. Then those people will be cast in the lake of fire. And uh, we'll get back to that in just a minute. Number 13 on your chart represents the new heaven and the new earth that God will create. And it's described in Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 21 verse one says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of, out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Doesn't that sound amazing? Yes, it sounds amazing. Now, sometimes we incorrectly think, you know what, when we experience heaven, heaven's going to be out there somewhere. Like where's heaven? I don't know, but it's somewhere out there and we're going to live in in heaven out there. Uh, But Revelation teaches that the the new Jerusalem, which is the the capital of heaven, is going to come and rest on earth. So we will experience our heaven on earth uh, in a renewed heaven and a new earth. So like earth will be our heavenly home is what we see here in scripture. Now, I do believe that we will be able to explore the vastness of the universe in God's creation. So I don't know about you, but I've got some hunting trips planned on the other side of Pluto when, uh, when we get to that experience, okay? And so, you know, there won't be any death, so I won't be killing any animals, but it might be like a big game of tag or something. Uh, I'm not sure. But I can't wait to explore all of God's creation. I think that we'll have the ability to do some of that. But again, I think we need to understand that we'll be living on a renewed earth with a renewed heaven. Now, the rest of chapter 21 and 22 in Revelation describes the beauty and majesty of the new Jerusalem. And it says in uh, Revelation 21 verse 18, that the new Jerusalem will be made out of pure gold as clear as glass. Verse 21 tells us that the gates of the city will be made out of pearls and each gate will be made out of a single pearl. There are 12 gates in the city and uh, they're big gates and each gate is made out of one pearl. Verse 23 tells us there won't be any need for sun or moon because God himself will light the world. And 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So even with the descriptions that we see in Revelation, we cannot even begin to understand how amazing heaven is going to be. And here's the really great thing about heaven. It isn't the gold, it isn't the pearly gates, it's being with God. Revelation 22, four tells us that we'll have such a close relationship with God, we will see him face to face. So there have been people throughout scripture that have had a really close relationship with God. Nobody's seen him face to face like that. And we'll have that opportunity. We'll have that privilege. But kind of the big question as we wrap up today is, will you be there? Will you get to see God face to face? to face is your name written in the Lamb's book of life. 
If it is, you can be confident of that. You don't have to wander through life wondering if you're going to get to experience heaven and, and be with God for all of eternity. You don't have to wonder about that. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can be confident that when your time on earth is done, you'll be in God's presence. And that should motivate us. That should motivate us to go out and help other people around us understand how they can get their name written in the Lamb's book of life and have a relationship with God that will last forever. So again, I think Jesus is coming back soon. Could be tomorrow. Could be 100 years from now. But I think he's coming back very soon. And we need to be prepared and we need to help other people be prepared for that day. Now, if your name isn't written in the book of life, today can be the day that it is. Today can be the day that a heavenly pen is brought out and your name is written in a book that will one day be opened and your name will be called for eternal life. And I want to show you how you can make sure your name is, is written in that book. I'm going to guide you through a closing prayer. But before I do that, let me just encourage you. If, if what we've talked about in this series has stirred some things in your heart or stirred some other questions uh, and you need to talk more about this, I'm going to be out in our lobby uh, by one of the, the tall tables over there. So I encourage you to come over. I'd love to talk with you about that. If you've got a, a prayer issue or a care issue in your world and you need help, stop by our care table. We've got some amazing people there. We'd love to pray with you and help you in any way that we can. So if you need to talk or you need to pray, uh, we'd love to do that with you. But we're going to wrap up together. And uh, our worship team is going to close us in a song called Run to the Father. So let's all pray together. And then let's all run to the Father together. Okay? Let's pray. As we begin praying... I'm curious today if there's anybody here willing to admit that you're a Christ follower, but maybe you haven't been doing a great job of, of helping people around you understand that Jesus is coming soon and they need to put their faith in him. Maybe you haven't really been living your faith in front of people around you. Is there anybody here today willing to admit that? If so, just raise your hand real quick. I see a number of hands all over. So Lord, it's so easy for all of us to join your family and then forget we got to help other people do that. It's so easy to drift from that and think, you know what, like, like I'm good, but maybe the person that lives next to us isn't good. Maybe the person we work with isn't good. Maybe the person we go to school with, maybe they're not prepared. Maybe they don't know you. So Lord, we should live with passion and purpose every day for you, and we should show as many people as possible around us how to start a relationship with you and have their name written in the book of life. Lord, I pray that this series will be a motivator for us to know that we've got to live with urgency for that because you are coming soon. As we continue to pray, I'm curious to know if there's anybody here today willing to admit that, that maybe your name is not written in the book of life. If you're in that spot, I encourage you, would you just raise your hand for just a moment? Just hold it up for just a moment so I can see. And I don't see any hands here. 
that are raised. Maybe somebody's raising their hand in their heart. Maybe somebody's raising their hand uh, online as, as they're watching. And if you're in that spot, let me just remind you how you get your name written in the book of life. It's by believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's by believing that, that Jesus became God in the flesh. He came here to die to pay for our sins and make it possible for us to be restored in a right relationship with God. And when we put our faith in Jesus, our name is written in the book of life. So if you want to start a relationship with God today, the way that you do that is by running to him and telling him, God, I need you. God, I believe that you're the savior of the world. I believe, Jesus, you died so I can have eternal life. And I ask you to come into my life and be my personal Lord and Savior. If you make that declaration, if you have that conversation with God, your name will be written in the book of life and a place will be reserved for you and God's family for all of eternity. So this morning, as our worship team wraps us up with this final song, uh, they're going to be inviting us to run to the Father. So today, if you've got an issue on your heart that it's heavy, if this, again, this series has stirred something uh, in your life and you need to talk to God about it, I encourage you to talk to God about it during this song. And if you need to have a follow-up conversation, uh, we'll be available out in our lobby. So God, thank you for the information you've provided. Lord, I know we've covered a lot of information today, but Lord, it's useful. We can apply it to our lives and I pray that we would. And this morning, we run to you with our cares, with our burdens, with our fears, with our excitements. We run to you because we know you're the only one who we will be with for all of eternity. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. Would you please stand with me and sing?